The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We're live from the Charles Schwab Impact Conference. And if there's any background noise that you hear, it's because we are in the middle of the Discovery Data Booth. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to give themselves permission to go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place for advisors to come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest this morning is Stacy Havener, who's the founder of and CEO of Havener Capital Management. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Doug. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having us. Us. No, well, I speak in the collective. <laughs> so, what brings you to San Diego and the Impact Conference? Oh gosh, I don't. Uh, this is probably. Let's see. I've been in the industry since 1998. I think I've gone to 20 something impact conferences, we wouldn't miss it. Yeah, we wouldn't miss it. it. It's just such a great collection of all the constituents that that make the industry great, right? You have the investors, you have the asset managers, you have people like Discovery that support both sides of that. So, um, yeah, you you can't not be here. It's a not-miss conference. Yes. So you work with a number of asset managers from a bunch of different ways that you help them mm-hmm. grow their businesses. Yeah. What, what are some challenges that you're seeing with, with asset managers and, and how are they being successful on the other side? Yeah, it's a great question. So maybe for clarification, we do help asset managers. That's definitely our niche. We're, we're experts in sales and marketing in the asset management space. But I think the, the nuance that I would say for backdrop is that we specifically help a certain subset of asset managers we sort of look for three things. So they're all active, so that's the first thing, all active managers. And our favorite scenarios are institutional managers that have been very successful, you know, run billions of dollars in separate accounts or for sovereign wealth funds or whatever, and they decide they want to launch a new fund. So we love, love that scenario. We love breakaways. So a talented PM has been, you know, working for the man and decides they're going to step out and hang their own shingle and and do something different to it their own way. So a breakaway portfolio manager scenario, we love that. And the third would be a a fund that's been around for a long time, but maybe hasn't really focused on marketing. And so they're just undiscovered. That's the hardest. That's kind of a turnaround story. But those are sort of the three types of firms that we work with. So for us, it's not just like any asset manager out there that wants to jack their, you know, sales and marketing up to a new level. We're really looking for something very specific. And it's because on the other side, we're focused on um, the early adopter investors in the RIA space. And so they are looking for good stories, good, you know, good managers, but good stories. So how does... What is making asset managers successful out there in the marketplace right now? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. It's getting tougher. We were chatting before we kind of went live on the podcast here. But, you know, I think there's two really big trends that everybody's talking about. So I'm not probably going to say anything uh, earth shattering here, but it, it bears repeating, which is you have 
an active passive landscape that is crushing, right? I mean, I think if if you were an asset manager sitting there saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about starting a fund, you'd probably quickly talk yourself out of it because, you know, if you look at the stats, it's like. In some of the asset classes, it's almost 100% of the flows that are going to, to passive. 100%? Almost. I mean, it's, it is, it's debilitating. And I think if you're outside of it, just, you know, you're, you're, not in, you're not in it yet, and you're looking at it from afar or even starting to approach it closer, um, it's scary because you're thinking, well, I'm never going to grow. I'm, no one's going to care because everything is passive. And there's certainly a lot of reasons for it and a lot smarter people that can speak to it than me. But I would say that it is, it, it's not going to stay like that. Like everything, there is a reversion to the mean. And even within it, there are still a lot of investors that believe in active management. So there is some hope. You know, we've raised hundreds of millions of dollars this year alone for active management. So, so it's there. It just gets buried in the statistics. Well, it can't. We've had a 10-year run with passive management, oh, and it's and companies have built their businesses on passive management. Yeah, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to continue. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a force. It's a force. But to your point, I think the market, this market in particular, because it seems to be you know, one directional, and that direction is up. I mean, that's the thing. Active management tends not to be appreciated until there's volatility. Um, you know, tends to be underappreciated in a, in a bull market that's a straight line. And so with volatility, there will be more appreciation for active management. With any kind of downturn, there will be more appreciation for active management because passive works great when the market goes up, but guess what happens when it goes down? Right. So... Advisors as well. There's there's fee compression. Yeah. Value propositions are being challenged. They have to build their business in a different way because there's all this competition coming. Yeah. They built their businesses on passive management. So how do they find the right asset managers? Well, so I think so. That's a great question, and I think it, it dovetails kind of into the next industry industry trend, which maybe starts out feeling like it's also maybe I'm just like doom and gloom today, but it, it sort of starts out negative. We are in sunny San Diego, <laughs> and I'm in all black. So, okay. So the other interesting thing, the other interesting dynamic that relates to what you're saying, if you're an investor and you're trying to find these asset managers, is that on top of the active passive dynamic you also have this this playing field that is not level by any stretch of the imagination so and we all know the pareto principle the 80 20 rule and that's fine and that's math but what's happening in our industry is above and beyond that so right so let's just we'll step back a second so so the mutual fund industry is a 17.7 trillion dollar industry there are 846 fund families so that's like that's a good setup, right? I mean, that's, that's some good supply demand, except for one small problem. <laughs> of those 846 fund families, 25 of them have all the money. So 25 firms right now have 79% of the assets. And if you do the math, that's actually 3% of the fund companies with almost 80%. Not 80-20, 3% you know, 83. So how are the rest of them surviving? Exactly. It's, it's, and it, so one more depressing thing to share, and then we'll, we'll, we'll climb out of this hole that I'm digging, is that it's, it's getting worse. 
So since 2015, every year, those fund families, the top 25, they've taken another 1%. So that's a, you know $175 billion every year since 2015 that they're taking, just sort of quote for showing up. And I think from where we sit, and if you're an investor who believes in kind of the same managers that we believe in, you know, I think just because you're the biggest does not mean you're the best, right? Talent and size are not, there's no correlation between that. And so you have to find the investors that, that share that vibe, right? Um, just because BlackRock is the biggest fund family out there doesn't mean they have the best funds, doesn't mean there aren't other managers out there who are super talented at what they do that bring something unique and different to the party, but you have to find them. So is it the laziness of the investor? Is it the powerhouse of branding? Is it oh, all well, of the yeah, well, you can't compete with, I mean, you can't, you know, so if you're, again, like, if you're like one of our clients and you're sort of an underdog in the space, right, because you're not one of those top 25, how do you compete? Because you can't, you can't compete with their budget. You can't compete with their branding. You can't compete with the number of salespeople. They have, you know, armies of salespeople flinging fact sheets all over, you know, God's green earth. You can't compete with that. So you have to find other ways. Um, and we can pro- we can talk about some of those ways. Certainly, the internet is the great equalizer. So thought leadership, you know, you can compete with brain power. You might not be able to compete with dollars and budgets, but you can compete with brain power. And the other thing I would say is that you have to find the investors that are your tribe, right? So if you try to go to the same investors who are investing in BlackRock or you know these big fund families you're not going to win because they want that. But isn't it easier for an advisor to go to their clients and say, I'm investing in this BlackRock product than asset manager XYZ sure. who they, you've never heard of? So I think for a lot of advisors it is, hence the statistics, right? right. Someone right. has to be investing or the stats wouldn't be there. But there is a certain subset of investors, a certain subset of advisors who believe that part of their value is to bring something that you can't find on the cover of USA Today. Right, so if you're my client and I come to you and say, oh look, you can invest in Vanguard, and they're like, wow, thanks for that rocket science, like thanks for that breakthrough, I couldn't figure that out by reading the newspaper on my own. There are a group of advisors who believe part of their value is to say, you never would have found this, this manager on your own. Um, you're only getting in because I am bringing it to you, and that there's value in that. And I think it's not just a value prop, it's also kind of a DNA situation. So if you, if, you, if you think back to like the Rogers adoption curve, which is a technology thing, but it's really a human thing. Every person falls somewhere on that curve in terms of adopting anything. And so the early adopters, you, you can't pass go. At some point, BlackRock was an underdog too. And the way they had to get there to where they are now is to pass through all the people on that curve. They're way, they're way out on the curve now. But in the beginning, the early adopters have to pick you up. And that's typically the RIAs. They're independent. They're, they're independent for a reason. They're not there for somebody to tell them, you need to buy this manager or this fund. And they're, they're rebels. They're not trying to do what's popular. They're trying to do what's right, what's right for the investor. And it's in their DNA 
you know, that's who, that's our tribe, right, on the other side, because they believe in those undiscovered stories. So how does your company shine the spotlight on these unknown jewels? Yeah, I mean, um, a, a lot of different ways. I mean, certainly, so we're, we're experts at sales and marketing, so that's, that's our world. But I think, um, you know, storytelling for me is, is everything. And you can tell stories in words, and you can also tell stories with numbers. And so our job, um, you know, when we take a client on, the very first thing we do is make sure that they're telling a story that someone would actually care about. And then to put that story in context with a powerful verbal story and a powerful quantitative story. Because again, if you put yourself in the shoes of the investor, why should they care? Why should they care about you, mutual fund portfolio manager? And why should they care about your strategy? What is it going to do for them? And more importantly, what's it going to do for their clients? And so that's our job is to kind of get that, that storytelling together and start getting it out um, in front of the right investors, helping, you know, helping these funds get found, helping them be heard by the right people. So helping people with sales and marketing, there's a lot more fun industries to be involved oh in God. than financial services. Yeah. So what, <laughs> what drew you to this one? <laughs> yeah. Because when you think financial services and asset management, you don't think like fun, jazzy sales and marketing tactics. Yeah, no, no I agree. Um, so what drew me to this one? Well, I think, you know, and I love the, the, the premise of your podcast and just everything that it stands for. So I appreciate so much what you're, what you're doing and what Thank you're you. shining a light on. You know, I can't say that, I, and I can't say I woke up one day and said, you know what I really want to do? Sales and marketing for mutual funds. I mean, that's certainly not how my path was, and I don't know if anyone's path actually is that linear. Um, but I think for me, what makes it fun is that while I, I can't say I grew up passionate about mutual funds, I certainly grew up passionate about underdogs. And so every day, what gets me out of bed is that I'm helping clients, I'm helping underdogs fight. I'm helping these firms that no one knows yet get found. I'm helping them go from undiscovered to a champion. And, and that is, that's a mission that is near and dear to my heart because I am an underdog in so many ways. And, and where did so that, many ways where did the underdog come from? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think, look, if you, if you looked at my bio on paper, you know, if, if someone handed you like, oh, here's Stacey Havener, oh, cool, yeah, what's she about? Well, here's her bio. You, you'd be like, well, how is this person succeeding at all, <laughs> right? I'm an unlikely success story in this business. Um, you know, first of all, I'm a woman in a very male-dominated industry, but then if you kind of go back you know, go back to your point in my career, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a family of, of Wall Street. I didn't, you know, go to Harvard or Yale or an Ivy League school. Didn't major in business or finance or economics. I'm, I'm a blue-collar kid who had to pay her way through college. I put my first semester of college and I went to a state school in my backyard. I put my first semester on a credit card because I did not know how you even go about paying for college. Um, and I majored in English literature. I mean, I wrote poems and, you know, wanted to be a professor. So there's, you know, on paper that would be like, well, how are you surviving? How do you even have a business? 
let alone one that's very successful. So for me, that's the underdog part. And there's so many more elements of my story that, of course, with hindsight being 2020, you can look back and say, gosh, I mean, it's just, it's been in my blood forever. And it probably will never leave. I mean, it, it's part of what defines me. So, um, so yeah, I think the underdog spirit, that rebel spirit is, is what gets me up every day. So this being the Permission to Succeed podcast, yeah. was there a special time that you kind of had to look in the mirror and give yourself permission to be successful? Right, right. So yeah, because if you don't grow up saying, I want to be in the mutual fund industry, certainly, how did you end up here? So for me, all roads, interestingly, lead back to soccer. I mean, doesn't everybody's road lead back to soccer? Of course mm, it does. No? Mine doesn't. No, but... okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so soccer for me, I guess there are like three you know, big takeaways on that, on that journey. The first was again, you know, growing up where I did, um, I didn't start playing soccer till I was nine and, and where I'm from, like there was no Olympic development program or like the way you got good was you just played. And I played with boys. So from the age of nine until the age of 15, I was often the one of the only girls on my team and often the only girl in every camp or training that I went to. And, you know, being the only girl, especially that age, is interesting, but, you know, it makes you tough, and it forces you to get good, because the way you get respect is by being as good as them, if not better, and you, and you have to find different ways to compete. You're not going to be as fast, and you're not going to be as strong, but you can be smarter, and you can be t- as tough. And so I think that, for me, has been incredibly important in my life and in my, in my business career in this industry. The second thing goes back to the underdog piece. So with, with college, I mean, soccer solidified the underdog as a passion for me. In college, I, I went to this state school in, in part because I, I didn't have a choice in a lot of ways, and it was, it was in my budget and it was in my backyard, but there was one special thing that was happening there, which was they were building a women's soccer program for the first time ever. And it had been a club team, and the coach that they had brought in was recruiting some talented soccer players from the area to come and build this program with her. And it spoke to me. I didn't realize it at the time, but now, of course, looking back, we were the bad news bears. We were horrible. It was, it was a joke. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And then, you know, so that was my freshman year. By the time I left, we were ranked third in the nation in Division Three in four years. Um, and it was an incredible experience. And the bonds that you build and the successes that you celebrate when you go from literally being nothing, you know, to being in the top three, it was amazing. And I think that fueled the fire for me to keep figuring out how to do more of it in my life. And then the last thing I would share is is how I met my mentors. So my my direct path to the mutual fund industry, my high school soccer coach was a small cap equity manager. He ran a billion dollars. I had no idea um, because to me he was just my soccer coach. But we stayed in touch. We stayed in touch through college. He was a father figure and a mentor. And in 1998, he decided to launch a mutual fund. He was, you know, he was running a billion, but it was all institutional. And he was launching his mutual fund. He said, I know you have to pay for your school. I know you want to be a professor. Come and work with me. Save some money, and you can go back and, and fulfill your dreams. And, and I said, I know nothing about funds. <laughs> nothing about the stock market. And he said, I'll teach you. And, and that was it. I never left. 
and from there I met Richard Sincere, who is my other mentor in the space. I'm sure a lot of people will know. And he took it from building one fund to you can build a business around doing this, um, of creating funds. And, and again, that tapped into that underdog for me. So for me, everything was soccer. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we make it so women don't feel like they're joining that soccer team with all boys oh as an industry? So, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, good news, bad news. Um, Bad news, it it still kind of is. Good news, it's getting better. And I think, you know, there's obviously been a lot of recent press about some bad actors in the space. And, uh, And I'll tell you that the good actors far outweigh the bad. And I think the press does an incredible disservice by only shining a light on what's wrong. Because it's today. it's today, and I know that's what people want to read, but it's a sad thing because there are so many great guys in this industry that believe not just in helping women or you know minorities or whatever, but just believe that the best person should get the job. So how do we get people to read the good things? I think, honestly, if the press published the good things, the good people would want to read it because that's what I would want to read. I, I mean, I, I read one or two articles about that situation, and I was like, good, I'm over it. And also diversity training isn't going to help at all, so good luck with that. What what helps is, like, you know, losing billions of dollars. That's really good training for when you do something wrong. I drop in the bucket today. Yeah, situation. but, I mean, but that's the, that's the, that's the lesson. I think, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, I also think that... For women or for people who are creative, this industry seems like a dud. Like, why would I, to your point, your earlier point, why would I come here? You guys walk around in blue suits and red ties and, like, no one tries to do it. No, you see, you have purple on, so it's great. No one, no one tries to do anything different. Everyone wants to be the same. And that's really sad. I think if, if people could see that there are creative rebels out there doing cool stuff, it would attract more like-minded. I mean, again, that's all tribe. That's how it builds. Yeah. So what is, what is your advice to people who want to come into this industry and create differently, different stuff? Try it. What do you say to them? Yeah. I mean, impo- be a rebel, be yes, an underdog. Totally. Um, because everybody can relate to the underdog thing. I don't care like how fancy or big your job is. You've had a moment where you weren't that fancy and you didn't have that big of a job. And so you have to sort of tap into that, right? So everybody starts from the bottom. That's, that's the great thing about how it works. But I think for advice for people, so I would say that, and, and even we do this with our clients a little bit, you know, it's, it's an industry, again, that is so built on being the same. And you start doing things. You don't even know why you're doing it. You're just doing it because everybody else is. And I think what's great about coming from a different discipline into this space is that I didn't know any better. I didn't grow up in it. So I came in and was like, well, why are you, you know, why does your fact sheet, the whole front of it is all about numbers and you don't have any numbers yet because you're brand new. So why would you make that the front of your fact sheet? And yet you have this incredible pedigree that you worked at this amazing place for this amazing mentor of yours. And that's nowhere on here. And so why are we doing things? Because that's what everybody else is doing. So you do need to be a rebel. And I think for for people who aren't in the industry to know that 
even if you are in the industry, the, the parts of your experience and your skill set that are different than everybody else, that's what's going to make you stand out, right? It's the things that make you quirky and eccentric and different, and that's what, what makes people gravitate to you and love you and give you a, a platform to, to use those skills to do something that actually matters. Well, it's very clear why people want to work with you and why you're successful. <laughs> oh, thank you. How do they find you if they, people are looking for you? Sure. Um, yeah, our, our website is havenercapital.com, H-A-V-E-N-E-R-C-A-P-I-T-A-L. I, I don't write as much as I, as, as I want to in my heart, but I'm planning on starting, so you'll see that um, on our blog and, and on LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to connect. Well, we'd love to have your stuff in our site, too. Oh, I would be honored. I'd be honored. Well, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. so much for having us. Really appreciate it. We'd also like to thank Discovery Data for having us at their booth. Charles Schwab for having us at their conference. Craig's not paying attention. <laughs> and for everyone at Iris Media Works and the Permission Succeed production team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thank you so much for joining us. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.